0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Twimmel AI podcast. I am your host, Sam Charrington, and today I'm joined by Shared Goyal. Shared is a professor of public policy at Harvard University. He and I last spoke just over a couple of years ago about his paper, The Measure and Mismeasure of Fairness. And today we'll be talking about a follow-on work that recently won the ICML 2022 Outstanding Paper Award, Causal Conceptions of Fairness and Their Consequences. I'll say that this paper surfaced some really surprising results for me, uh, and I'm looking forward to digging into it and sharing a bit of those with you. Shared, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me back. Awesome.
0: For those who didn't catch our last conversation, how about you spend a little bit of time introducing yourself and talking about how you came to work on understanding machine learning and fairness and their intersections?
1: Yeah. So I've had a pretty roundabout path towards this. I'm a, I would say recovering mathematician. I did my kind of PhD in in math many years ago, and then slowly drifted towards the policy realm over the last kind of 10, 15 years. And somewhere in between started to think more seriously about discrimination and human decisions, and particularly in the criminal justice system. And then all of these discussions about algorithmic fairness, not just you kind know, of discrimination and human decisions, but how do you conceptualize discrimination, fairness in machine systems has started coming to light. And that's where me and my collaborators came into this kind of emerging area and debate about how do we conceptualize discrimination? How do we measure it? How do we design more equitable systems?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if I can maybe summarize our last conversation and how it kind of leads into this one, I think a big theme out of that last paper and conversation was that, hey, we've been spending a lot of time as a community, as a field, trying to characterize fairness in mathematical terms. And you found those lacking in a lot of ways. And more recently, this idea of Causality and causal approaches has been presented as some ways almost sounding like a silver bullet, like, hey, we didn't get it before, but we just sprinkle causality dust on everything <laughs> and that's gonna fix all of our problems. And I think this paper's yeah. saying not so fast.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean causality <laughs> dust is is nice often. You know, I think it, it definitely brings nuance. And often it's it's important nuance to add. And so I, I'm mm-hmm. glad that people are thinking about causality in these discussions. But I think you said it well, that there's still this idea that the solution to designing equitable algorithms is to just come up with a better mathematization of fairness. And that, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to make a too strong of a claim, but I would say what we're finding is at least for the existing definitions, causal or non-causal, those definitions, when you use them as design principles to help you create algorithms, those can end up in many cases causing more problems than they solve. And so I don't think this closes the door on that approach, but it definitely should give people pause on pursuing this formalization of, of fairness.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like embarking on this endeavor, a big part of the challenge you ran into is just understanding what it means to apply causality to this idea of fairness in, in machine learning or algorithmic fairness broadly. Yeah, I mean, you're
1: exactly right. I mean, this is kind of subfield has been progressing at a breakneck pace. There's Lots of papers out there, people quite understandably are using different terms, different ways of describing the same phenomenon or the same ideas. And so Mm -hmm. a large part of this project was to go through that literature and make sense of it for ourselves. And in the process, what we hope to do is help other people who are new to this area understand it themselves. And at the end of the day, I think we ended up finding a reasonably, I would say, concise way of describing this area of causal fairness. And I would say roughly there are two classes of definitions, there are two classes of approaches to causal fairness. And that's kind of the shorthand that I'm using to describe this subfield. So the first is the idea that we want to eliminate or reduce the effect of legally protected traits like race or gender on our decisions. It's a very natural idea that we don't want race, for example, if we're in, the, in some sort of hiring context, we don't want race to affect our decisions. You know, that's, again, one big class of definitions, either directly or indirectly. And so maybe race indirectly affects our decisions through opportunities that are afforded to folks, and then that changes the amount of experience that people have. And So even if some sense, hiring decisions are based only on quote-unquote experience, race still might enter the equation through these indirect paths. And so there's a sense that we want to reduce those types of direct or indirect effects. And then the second big class of causal fairness definitions aims to reduce what we call counterfactual disparities. And so in a world where different decisions were made, what would the effect of those decisions be, for example, on error rates? And so that's another kind of big class of definitions. So these are the two ways that we've conceptualized this subfield of of causal fairness.
0: Can you characterize the things that you saw in the literature, like the ways in which they differed underneath these two broad classes of intent?
1: Yeah, so even saying what does it mean to limit the effect, the direct or indirect effect of race on a decision, that statement is very, very hard to make precise. Mm -hmm. And so there are many reasons for that. I mean, one is this kind of mantra of no causation without manipulation, this kind of famous statistical mantra. And the idea there is this kind of point to this fact of if I can't manipulate something, what do I even mean when I say the cause of this thing on something else? And so in our setting, what does it even mean to say the cause of, the effect of race on some decision? How do we manipulate race? And that is not a thing that we can, easily manipulate. Mm -hmm. And so even saying, what are we talking about when we're talking about the effect of race? That's kind of a big open question. Now, even if we were to say, okay, let's let's pretend we understand what that means. And we might pretend we understand what that means by saying there's these kind of famous audit studies that say, well, the way we're going to manipulate it is by changing somebody's name. We're going to imagine an employer or someone who's screening CVs, and we can say, well, we're going to change the name on a somebody's CV. The only, only thing that the employer gets to see is a CV, mm-hmm. and we're going to change the name to suggest to the employer's mind, in the employer's mind, that this person is black or white, for example. Yeah, And then if we see differences in decisions, we're going to say that, well, this is what the effect of race means. It's really the effect of a name change on the perception of race, which, again, induces this change in the decision. But that's at least one way of narrowly describing what we mean there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we there, there are ways that we can understand what is the effect of race, at least if we kind of suspend a little bit of disbelief and kind of go down this sort of... Kind of accept these proxies. Yeah, accept these proxies. Yeah. So th- there's that. But now, what do we mean when we say, let's Limit the indirect of effect of race through certain paths. So now this is an even more nuanced idea of, you know, what exactly does it mean to say, well, a race could have affected what opportunities you had in high school, which affected what you know colleges you went to, which affected which test scores you got, which affected all this other stuff. And so now we might want to say, well, we don't want, race to affect decisions through some of these pathways, but we are going to allow race to affect decisions through other pathways. Mm-hmm. So for example, we might allow, again, let's go back to this hypothetical of college admissions. We might say, well, we're going to allow for affirmative action. So we're going to allow race to directly be taken account into account by admissions officers when deciding whom to admit. But we're not going to allow race to affect decisions through these "quote unquote" unfair pathways. And now we have to define exactly what those unfair pathways are. For example, reduced opportunity resources, which means potentially lower test scores, or you know whatever those other potential pathways are that we want to block.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so that was a lot for us. We had to kind of really unpack all of these formal ways of making those statements. Precise, And then in our paper, we try to convey those to people who don't want to kind of read through all of that literature, but want the two-page summary of how you might do this.
0: Are you saying that all of the definitions that are out there boil down to two definitions, or are there two broad classes of ways that people are defining or treating the topic?
1: Yeah, so I would, I would say there, there are really two broad classes. Okay. There are many, many, there are dozens of kind of sub-definitions in each of these categories. But at the end of the day, I think the kind of statistical structural properties really depends on which of these two classes you're talking about. But I would say there there really are. If you were to enumerate them, you would get to dozens pretty quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of what you are doing is presenting mathematical formulations for these definitions? Are these formulations that were generally present in the literature that you were reviewing or were they scenarios that were proposed less rigorously and you're trying to bring some of that rigor to them? I would say a little bit of both. I would say maybe 80% they were already out there Mm -hmm. in various, you know,
1: using various notation and kind of various setups. And so we definitely tried to consolidate these, put them on a common footing, and then present them all coherently. And in the process, I would say we did clarify some of these definitions and hopefully make them a little bit more rigorous. But I'd say by and large, that part of the paper was bringing in these ideas that other people had put out there. And so you know, these could be extended in various ways, but we were really trying to represent what other people had already said rather than introduce our new conceptualizations of these ideas.
0: Got it, got it. And uh, were there particularly notable areas where you kind of added to definitions or clarified or extended the definitions?
1: Yeah, so again, I I mean, I think much of this was already out there and in in many of the authors of the papers that we cite, probably for various reasons, including space, didn't give all the details. And so we tried to give Mm. many of the details. But I would say, especially these kind of Past specific notions of fairness, where I'm trying to say, here is, I want to limit the effect of race along certain causal paths. That is a style of definition, which we found to be quite hard to make rigorous. Once you write it all down, it's pretty compact. You can say it in a page, but actually getting all that machinery and writing it down and saying, this is exactly what we mean by this definition, that certainly took us a fair amount of time. And while we were figuring it out, hopefully we were, were able to communicate that to others.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's, on the one hand, there's defining these particular problems in terms of and kind of using the machinery of causality. There's also defining policies that act on those problems using the, the same causal machinery, were you also looking to kind of clarify and define the, the policies or are you promoting or discussing, you're not really proposing new policies. This is also kind of a surveying aspect of the paper. Is that right? So I think this is a really good distinction that you're, they're raising. I mean, there's, there's a use of causality to
1: define various mathematical notions of fairness. Mm-hmm. And then there's this way of, of using causality that is core to how we're thinking of this project of saying, you, a policymaker, need to do something. And now the way I think about that is you're asking what is the causal effect of implementing a certain policy on the world? Mm -hmm. And so again, using this kind of idea of admissions, college admissions, we can say if I were to admit students according to this policy, what would happen? What would the demographic composition of my class look like? You know, what would the graduation rate look like?
0: Yeah. What would the world very broadly look like? Is there a notion of a causal Policy, or is it rather a causal approach to analyzing the impacts of a policy? Yeah, I would, I would say the latter. Yeah. And so I would say here it's what is the causal effect
1: of implementing a policy? Yeah. And here, this is a very different style of reasoning than one that we regularly see in computer science. It's very kind of, I would say, an economic style or a policy style of reasoning where you have a menu of options. And we can say we can do A, B, or C. What is the world going to look like? Or what do we think the world will look like under each of these potential policies that we could implement? And that's very different from, I would say, the style of causality or the use of causality in creating these algorithmic definitions of fairness.
0: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this distinction between the way causality is treated in economic and statistical contexts and kind of computer science and algorithmic contexts. Did your review kind of focus on or find more of one or the other or...
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, our perspective was really coming from the policymaker of saying we would like to design a more equitable world, whatever that means. That's a hard, amorphous concept, but that is what we are going for. And so the pertinent question to a policymaker, to a set of stakeholders is what do we do? Mm-hmm. Now, that is our kind of overarching perspective when we're coming to this problem. I would say the use of causality in the formal definitions that we're reviewing are not asking about the consequences of implementing certain things. They're really saying we want to procedurally reduce the impact of race on certain decisions. You know, that's kind of roughly what that style of computer science, algorithmic fairness is doing, or at least one broad class of things that's happening there. And the key distinction is that one is procedural this is the computer science notion of it. If you want to be philosophical about this, you know, sometimes it's called a deontological perspective of saying these are rules. There're certain mm-hmm. things that we think of as being good or bad. And we might say that it is bad to allow race to affect decisions through certain pathways. And then there's this alternative consequentialist perspective of saying the procedure is really only important to the extent that it brings about good outcomes and that's where we were really coming from and we're saying we want to create this we care about certain outcomes being equitable yeah and what we found though is quite surprising is that by constraining yourself procedurally to certain kind of definitions of fairness even though On the surface, they might seem quite reasonable. In fact, those constraints are so strong that almost always, in a kind of rigorous sense, they would lead to bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so there's this dark tension between process fairness and outcome fairness. Mm -hmm. And In general, I think, you know, in the criminal legal system, this is something that often comes up, and and I think there's a lot of nuance in whether or not you want to favor a quote-unquote fair process or a quote-unquote fair outcomes. Here... The process, in my mind at least, was unintuitive enough that I would prefer having better outcomes rather than saying, let's equalize error rates or something like this, where it's unclear to me, why do you want that thing? Like, presumably you want that thing because precisely it leads to these better outcomes. And to the extent that it doesn't lead to these better outcomes, maybe we should revisit those definitions, those rules that we bound ourselves to at the beginning.
0: Yeah, and this was a big result in the paper. Can you talk a little bit more about how you demonstrated that? And it sounds like you did so both through experimentation as well as kind of mathematically that these process definitions were insufficient relative to the outcome definitions.
1: Yeah. So the way we did that is that we kind of use this idea of pre which is popular in the economics literature. And roughly this is saying, you imagine you have a set of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. You know, to ground everything, let's go back to our kind of college admissions example. All of what we wrote in the paper is quite general, but I think it's helpful to keep things grounded with this one example. And so imagine we have an admissions committee and they all have different preferences, but they agree on two things. So they agree that they want to admit students who are likely to succeed in their program. And so you might operationalize this by saying that they have a preference for people graduating. That's like one way to say that, that we can operationalize success. And the second thing that they agree on to some extent is a preference for diversity. Mm-hmm. And, but they disagree on the extent to which they're willing to trade these two things off. Mm -hmm. And so some people are saying, okay, it's like we really want to prioritize one over the other. And other people say, no, let's not really, let's kind of, we really mostly care about one and not the other. And so we have this kind of, I would say, realistic scenario of stakeholders who have differing opinions, but they're kind of reasonable in the sense that their, their preferences aren't all over the place. They kind of have rough alignment on these critical dimensions. And so now what we say is that I'm going to, in some sense, randomly draw a state of the world for you. And so, what does that mean? I'm going to kind of, you know, tell you through the relationship between demographic groups and all these covariates that are observable and everything that admissions committees can make their decisions on. And there's kind of this infinite dimensional space of distributions that I can consider. And we're saying, just pick some of these things randomly. And our result in a nutshell is saying, almost always, no matter what state of the world you randomly draw, if you were to limit yourself to these causal definitions of fairness the policies that will result, the only policies that satisfy your causal definition of fairness will be Pareto dominated, meaning that everybody on the admissions committee will think it's a bad idea. And so what does that mean to be concrete? So if I give you any policy that satisfies your causal definition of fairness, I can come up with another policy that has both greater student body diversity and higher admissions rate or graduation rates. And because it has both of these two things, everybody in the admissions committee will think that is better than the policy that you generated through this causal fairness mechanism.
0: Yeah, yeah. With that result in mind, you're kind of suggesting here that these causal, these policies created in the context of causal definitions are suboptimal broadly, but we've talked about all of the work that's gone into these causal policies, yeah. You know, certainly those folks thought they were onto something. Like what light does your results shed on all the results that you looked at when you were kind of coming up with your definitions? I completely agree
1: that there's been a lot of effort, you know, probably thousands of hours, tens of thousands of hours of effort collectively going into this subfield of causal fairness. And, you know, I don't think that was wasted effort in any way. I mean, I think these are this is an emerging field Mm -hmm. and we have to learn and understand what we're doing. That's a messy process. And so sure it's, you know, in some sense not at all surprising that our first stab at this is gonna fall short. Mm -hmm. That being said, I do think, and again, this is my own view, is that our results really cast some doubt on the value of this Approach going forward for informing policy decisions. Now, I don't think that that's not a mathematical statement. It's not a formal statement. And I, I would encourage other people who are interested in this area to continue pursuing it and to, to read carefully the literature, to read carefully what we've written and make up their own mind. But for me personally, having gone through that process, I do think there's a real risk of causing harm, particularly causing harm to groups that ostensibly we are trying to not harm by using these definitions, if we were to go down this path of mathematizing fairness in these ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in the paper that you show the Pareto dominance both analytically and empirically. Is the Are your empirical results based on simulation or something else? Yes, this is
1: simulation. So we okay. mostly use this as is an intuition pump. Yeah. And so this is how we started. The math turns out to be hard. And so this is the way that we started building intuition for the problem mm-hmm. is let's simulate things. And we hope that that approach is also illuminating to other people who are coming to this field.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how you built out the simulations? Yeah, and so it,
1: it's pretty straightforward. We basically formalized the setting that we've been talking about about college admissions, Mm -hmm. and it, it very much mirrors our discussion. So we just imagine there's some population of people. We imagine that there are various things that admissions committees consider, for example, test scores or GPA and race. And we imagine some relationship between these things. And then once we write this thing down, and again, I don't even pretend that this is realistic in a literal sense, but I think it captures some of the structure of these problems in the real world. But once we write it down, then we can just kind of draw outcomes from this generative model. We can say, given that you observe these outcomes and you implement this policy that is derived through these causal fairness definitions, what would you get? How would that compare to things that you could do alternatively? And like I said, anything you do, if you restrict yourself to the class of policies that are attainable Through a causal fairness definition, you are guaranteed in a mathematical sense to have lower student body diversity and lower graduation rates than what you can do if you don't restrict yourself to that Mm -hmm. class of policies, which to us was a kind of surprisingly strong result.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned when we were chatting earlier that it was very surprising for me reading the abstract. You're used to seeing results that are talking about how something is better. And I had to read Pareto dominance that the causally defined results were Pareto dominated by other policies several times before I realized what you were saying that, hey, yeah. these are always yeah. worse. These are always, they're always <laughs> worse. To even formalizing,
1: what does that mean that these are technically almost always worse? Like going back to the statement I mm-hmm. made before, it's like, if you were to draw these policies, draw the state of the world at random, you will almost always end up with something that is Pareto dominated, meaning it's actually strongly Pareto dominated, meaning everybody on our admissions committee in that hypothetical would disfavor that policy. So what does that even mean? And this is where we had to kind of dig into the decades-old mathematical literature on formalizing what does that mean, almost every policy. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of goes down this whole rabbit hole, which, again, to us at a technical level was super interesting because from our previous work, we had this intuition that often these things are bad yeah but we didn't quite have that language to say, Well, what does that mean often? you know what does that mean typically? what does that mean bad And here the insight was they like, putting together this idea of pre coming from the economics literature and this idea of almost everywhere on these kind of infinite dimensional spaces coming from the mathematics literature, and kind of putting all these pieces together, we you know found a this you know surprisingly strong result
0: mm hmm Mm-hmm. So two questions come up for you. One, I'm trying to think back to the the previous results, and if you could have said something similar, or did you need the constraint of causality to provide a mathematical framework for you to even get this far?
1: Yeah, that's a it's a really good question, and I would say yes and no. So yes, much of what we many of the non-causal definitions that are out there are subject to the same critique that we're offering in our current paper. And so at the time, a few years ago, when we were writing those older papers, we just didn't understand what we now understand. In that sense, these results translate. But in another sense, there is something about these causal definitions of fairness, which does not apply to the non-causal definitions. And so it turns out that these causal definitions of fairness, at least many of them, have such strong requirements on what they allow, that the only policies which satisfy them end up being kind of random policies that say that the only policy that will satisfy one of these particular definitions of causal fairness has to admit everybody with equal probability, regardless of qualification, regardless of demographics, everybody's admitted with the exact same probability. And that result was extremely surprising to us. And it really stems from the fact that it's that these definitions are implicitly imposing so many constraints on your policy that you kind of have no way out, that this is the only thing left to do. And at least as far as I know, I don't know of any non-causal definitions that impose so many restrictions that this is the only thing that you end up with.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that kind of gets at the second question I had, which was kind of, some intuition around why causality or causal policies perform so poorly, and and it's this idea of restriction. It sounds like, yeah. Can you speak more directly to this? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. That's exactly
1: right. That this is really about constraints. Mm -hmm. And so every time you add a constraint, you're restricting the space of policies that you can consider. And it turns out that especially for these past specific notions of fairness or any of these things where it's like, if I change your race counterfactually, I have to see exactly the same outcomes in my decision. It turns out if you unpack that definition that really implies a huge number of constraints. It sounds like one constraint, but really Mm. it's many, many, many constraints that are tied into that one notion.
0: And so when you do that and you kind of interpolate... Do you formalize that bit any further? Like what is it that is, what's the mechanism of kind of that constraint mapping to many other things yeah so
1: one way to think about it and again this gets a little bit technical in a picture is is worth a thousand words here but i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll try i'll try to do it um, through audio is that you can imagine a graph a dag mm-hmm. a causal dag that says well we have various features attributes and we're trying to say you know we're, we're drawing arrows between everything that has an effect on everything else mm-hmm And now we have race is one of these nodes in this graph and race affects all these other things. Now, if you think about all these kind of paths that race can go through to affect your decisions, if you kind of look at that graph, it turns out that this definition is saying that your decisions can only depend on things that are not downstream of race. Mm -hmm. But mostly when people write down these types of DAGs, everything is downstream of race. Mm -hmm. And so you say, well, you know, it's like where you went to school and then your test scores because of where you went to school. And then all these other things like the neighborhood you, you live in, all of these things are somehow tied to race. At least this is how people conceptualize it in many of these papers. And once you write that down, that is implicitly constraining your policy In a way that leaves no other option, but you have to make decisions that don't depend on that race or anything downstream of race, which basically doesn't leave you with much. Got
0: it. Got it. Is there a notion that makes sense of kind of rating or parameterizing, uh, less parameterizing than rating or categorizing, I guess, these causal policies based on their degree of constraint? Yeah, So definitely this
1: one that I've been describing right now, I would say it's the most extreme in that literally the only thing you can do is make decisions purely randomly, no differentiation. And so I would say that's the most extreme. There's more or less a unique policy that satisfies this causal definition of fairness. For everything else that we looked at, there's a little bit of wiggle room. Mm -hmm. But all of that wiggle room, all of those policies that are allowable are still credo dominated. And and so they're still all, you know, quote unquote bad Mm -hmm. in some sense, but they're, I would say not as bad. (laughs) There's more than one choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of touched on this earlier in saying that, you know, this work isn't necessarily meant to say that there's no value in, in this research, but do you see... Does this work point you in a direction? You know, if you're interested in causal policies, do you see something in this work that says, well, maybe we should be looking here? Yeah. Or is it more? Is it not really providing you that shining light, so to speak?
1: No, I mean, I think I think there are at least a couple things that are important. I mean, first, just a high level, the introduction of causality into this conversation is an important one, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's it was too much about. I would say pure prediction before without thinking about the effects of interventions. And so I think that that idea at a very high level is an important one. Now, the other thing that I think is, at least in some of this literature, but you know perhaps not highlighted to the extent that I would like it to be, is let's think about outcomes. And so there are these process oriented views of fairness. And in some contexts, those might make a lot of sense, but I think it's important to Understand what we're leaving on the table when we think in terms of pure process, as opposed to at least acknowledging the effects of policies generated by using these design principles that are being put out there. And at the end, I think reasonable people can disagree about whether or not one should focus on process or outcomes. But what I would personally like to see is more discussion, more engagement around these two different ways of thinking about these problems. But that is something that I think this literature at least is alluding to even if it doesn't directly engage with.
0: Is there some idea in which if you start with outcomes, then there's some role of causality as a tool to take you from those outcomes to policies that aren't limited by the constraints that we've talked about and and are dominated in the way that we talked about? Yes, definitely. Yep, definitely. I think it's very hard, but at least in theory, you can do this. And so you
1: know, the idea is if we agree, and this is a big if, if we agree what we want the world to look like, Mm-hmm. And again, you know, different people are going to disagree about that. But you know, let's assume that we have some consensus on what, where we want to get to. You know, then you can say, well, we could implement all these different interventions. How do we get to this place that we agree we want to get to? Which one of these interventions is going to get us closest to that place or fastest to that place? And that's a causal question. Mm-hmm. You know, that's purely a causal question. And it's a hard, it's a very, very hard question. But I don't think it's impossible in all scenarios to answer, it. and some of our other work is actually directly trying to you know take that perspective to design policy interventions. Awesome, awesome.
0: What's next for you in this line of research? Yeah,
1: it's I mean, so there's a lot of stuff kind of that we're actively pushing on right now, and the one thing that I'm quite excited about is designing interventions that can get us to a better place, and so this is the theme of much of my work. And so to give one specific example we are working with a public defender in in California, the Santa Clara County Public Defender Office to help their clients make it to court. And so why is that? Well, when you miss court, all sorts of bad things happen. And so you can, a bench warrant is often issued. And now if you're pulled over for a minor traffic violation, you could get arrested and thrown into jail. And so obviously I would say the right solution here is to not have those outcomes given if you miss court. In my mind, I think of that as like you know, tantamount to missing a doctor's appointment. It's not like people are trying to flee the jurisdiction. They have complicated lives. They forget about their appointments. All sorts of things happen. Yeah. And I don't think it's, kind of, it's not humane. It's not just to, to lock somebody up for that. That's a harder policy discussion. And so the way that we're addressing it is we're saying, well, given that this is the way the system works, we're not happy with it, but given the way that this is the way the system works, let's try to help people make it to court. And so we're doing that through two different means where we're working to send out text message reminders so people can help them plan. And we're also providing free door-to-door ride share from someone's home to court and back. And that is now, now the question is, how do you allocate this limited benefit of rides? So unfortunately, we can't offer the rides to everybody. And so who do we offer the rides to? And this is fundamentally a causal question. It's like there are various policies that we can implement. Which ones of these policies are we happier with? Which ones are going to get us closer to a world that we want to be in? Awesome. Awesome.
0: Shara, congrats again on the Outstanding Paper Award. That's huge. And it was great catching up and learning a bit about your latest work. Thanks. It's always fun chatting.